the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is entitled Be Attitudes and Gratitudes. Now, due to our time constraints here on the broadcast, we are only able to bring you the first portion of this message at this time. However, the entire message without interruption is available for you right now at the brand new website, reachingyourheart.com. We'd love for you to stop by and take a look. That's reachingyourheart.com. You can also join us tomorrow here on this station. This time, we will complete Beatitudes and Gratitudes at that time as well. Here's Pastor Mike. Dear Father, we're grateful. I'm grateful that we're in the Alleghenies Conference, frankly. This wonderful conference that shielded us during our early years from people who would destroy this group. And gave us a place and a way to share Christ through radio. Lord, was synergistic with us over these many years so that our full force of energy could go toward reaching people in in various parts of the world. So, Lord, I lift up our conference leadership to you right now, Elder Fordham, Elder Martin, Elder Robinson. May you be with them and be with us. We want to go home. We're grateful for the cross of Christ. And today, help us to know you in the Word of God, not to have this feeling stuff where faith is only based on a quick fix of a feeling, but may it be based on the truth, the Word of God. And Lord, give us the truth inside. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I had a crazy experience happen to me. Have you ever had that happen to you? Well, of course you have. Some instance. It was called ear pulling or coning. Have you ever heard of that? Oh, this is crazy now. I... Someone down in Tennessee said, Pastor Mike, I think the reason you can't hear well sometimes is because you got wax in your ears. We know this old method to pull and suck that wax out of your ear. And they get this kind of tube or, or, or a cone, really. They look down your ear and they get this candle made of beeswax and they pour that wax down there and they get a the fumes going, there's heat in your ear. It's supposed to suck the wax out of your ear. Well, all it did for me was pour wax into my ear. And I stopped that stuff. I later found out that it doesn't really work. It's just an old thing going around that people pay money for. If you want wax out of your ear, go to your doctor and have him remove it. Other than that, forget it. You know, the prophetic calling is one of both hearing and speaking the Word of God. Isaiah prophetically wrote concerning Jesus. Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. The one who hears the word of God in the Bible is the word of God himself. I mean, think about that. When we come and we bow down to the Lord Jesus, we are worshiping the word of God. It is the word of God that made the universe. It is not an it. It's it's he, a personal word of God who is God himself. To hearken to Him is to live for God. 
God commanded ancient Israel to listen to Jesus' voice from Sinai to the end of time. See, Christ didn't just suddenly show up in the New Testament. He was there in the Old Testament, moving providentially as the guardian protector of the Jewish nation forward in time to become a babe in Bethlehem's manger to save the world from its sin. Christ is what Malachi 3 calls Him, the messenger of the covenant who will, according to Exodus 23, 20, 21, take us to the promised land. And if you do not listen to His voice in your life, you won't get to the promised land. His voice matters in life. I'll make a very plain statement here, and I don't want to be misunderstood. But Christ is not a theologian. Christ is not a philosopher. Christ is not a moral influence on human society in and of itself. That's not what He's about. Friend, Jesus is the Word of God. He is the living Word of God. And so He stands beyond and outside of all these these things that we refer to in the religious realm. He is God's Son, God's Word, God's message of love to your heart. And you must listen to Jesus' voice to live. At Mount Sinai, God gave the command concerning Jesus. Exodus 23, 20 and 21. Behold, I send an angel before you. Now, why did He call Him an angel? Because Christ is the messenger of the covenant. He's not a created being, but He has functioned as God's angel or messenger to share the very depths of God. I send an angel before you, the angel of the covenant, to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place which I have prepared. And then He says in verse 21, Give heed to Him. And listen to His voice and do not rebel against Him for He will not pardon your transgression for My name is in Him. You can't have the name of God in you unless you are God. And so Christ was coming as the Word of God with the name, the law of God. Just before the promised land, God gave the command again. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. He's speaking to Moses from among their brethren. And I will put My words in His mouth and he shall speak them all that I command him. And whoever will not give heed to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself were required of him. In the first passage in Exodus 23, God sends an angel who has God's name in him. But here we find that God sends a man, a new Moses, who has God's name in him, who speaks for God. And so the angelic heavenly messenger that is God in angel form, the preexistent Christ, becomes God in human form, the new Moses who speaks the Word of God. The prophet Daniel summarized the sin of Israel as a failure to listen to the voice of Jesus Christ. Daniel 9.14, Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all His works which He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the act of Jesus opening His mouth as the Word of God. I mean, when you listen to Jesus' words being read from the front, or you open your New Testament and you read the words of Christ, friend, you are hearing the very words of God. The mind of God is being transmitted off those pages into your life. And so I don't look at the Bible like I look at other books. And I could care less what some fancy theologian says about it. If he doesn't know Jesus, I don't want to hear him. Because the Word of God has intrinsic power. The power of God is in the words of Jesus. So in in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus went up into a mountain because the law was given on Mount Sinai. God appeared on that mountain and He spoke the Ten Commandments. And the evidence is it was Jesus Christ Himself who spoke the law at Sinai. So if you want God today, you must listen to the voice of the lawgiver 
who gave the Beatitudes on another mountain in Matthew 5, the Mount of Blessing. Friend, obedience is faith, and faith means you hear His voice. The one who spoke the law gave us the blessings, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 1-2. The Bible says, Seeing the crowds, He, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when He sat down, His disciples came to Him, and He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Now, whatever comes out of Jesus' mouth, as far as I'm concerned, is good stuff. What about you? It's good stuff. It's not so-so stuff. It's great stuff. And I can sit all day long and think about Christ's words and never exhaust their meaning. I can hear people with these long sentences, these long theoretical explanations, say a bunch of nothing with a whole lot of writing and talking. That's not how Jesus works. There is infinite wisdom in, it, in, in the expressions that we find here. He, he is communicating God's Word to us. So I don't want to hear a bunch of foolishness that comes from men. I want to hear that which is really smart stuff that comes from God that saves the soul. And I don't want to hear man's ideas about heaven. I want to hear about the heaven from the one who came from heaven. I want to hear the words of God in plain talk from the man who is the way, the truth, and the life. So when the Bible says that Jesus opened His mouth, it's time for us to stop talking and to start listening to Him and to obey His words. Am I right? Am I right on that? Okay. Matthew 5.3 Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus begins His discourse with a blessing. In the Old Testament, the blessing was part of the covenant. When Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, God said, you leave your land of tower builders, you go to the land that I will show you, and I will bless you, I'll make your name great, and you'll be, you'll be a blessing to the world. This blessing was again promised and reaffirmed to Isaac and Jacob. And throughout the history of Israel, when they needed to know that God was with them, He promised to bless them. So after Mount Sinai, it was the special duty of the priest to bless God's people. Now, notice what I said here. I didn't say bless them out. I said bless them. It's not the role of the preacher to bless you out so you get discouraged and you don't come to Christ. It's the role of God's men of the Word and God's women of the Word to basically bless God's people so they'll come to Christ. I'd like to read the Aaronic Benediction, Numbers 6, 23-27. Number 623, say to Aaron and his sons, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. Now looking at that verse, who blesses you according to the text there? The Lord does. No one else can bless you really in life. And then look at verse 25. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Now who gives you grace in your life according to that verse? The Lord does. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Who's the source of peace in this verse? The Lord is. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Your friend, we worship a God who wants to bless us. We worship a God who is not content for us to slip into a meaningless existence. He wants our lives full of blessings. God's name and God's law are the same thing. And He says, You shall put my name upon them, thus you will bless them. Friend, God's law cannot be written on your mind and your heart unless you're willing to hear the blessing of God by faith and believe it. And as you believe it, obey. God lives to bless you. God wants to speak to you personally in life. He doesn't want you having a relationship through others. He wants you having a personal relationship with Him. And when you hear Him through the words of Jesus Christ that are found in your Bible, 
that brilliant book that smart people ignore today, that aren't so smart, the Bible, you will be blessed. So the priest was commanded to give a blessing. In the Sermon on the Mount, think about this. Christ is performing a priestly function in anticipation of the day when on resurrection morning He would be declared a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It is the role of the priest to bless. So in the first section of Jesus' discourse in the Sermon on the Mount, we are all familiar with the Beatitudes, as they are called, which are really the blessings. If you count them, you will find that there are nine Beatitudes, which are really nine commandments of a sort, and they bring happiness for the Christian. A Beatitude is a blessing. But why are there only nine? I mean, we would think of the number really being ten, right? Why have only nine? Well, there is a tenth one. The tenth uh, statement, which takes the place of the tenth beatitude, is the command rejoice. And so there really are ten. Nine blessings. And number ten is the command to rejoice. The new covenant. Now think about this. is God's attempt to bless you in Jesus and to give you the greatest joy in life that brings you close to the heart of God. So blessings and joy. And the first blessing, let's look at the first beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 3. Simply stated, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now in this beatitude, Jesus commands a blessing for the poor in spirit. And then he assures the person who complies with this condition of his command that something happens right now in their life. That when they are spiritually poor in spirit in their relationship to God, that they receive something right now. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he has another present tense, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't say it's going to come to you at the end of life's journey. He doesn't say when you fix your life up, that's when you get it. He doesn't say when you achieve righteousness, then I will grant it to you. He says right now, if you know you're poor in life, if you know you can't fix your life, if you know you need God in your life, and you're coming to me that way, you have the kingdom of God right now in your life. Friend, that's assurance. You see, the Beatitudes start with the assurance that God is with us. Heaven starts here for the person who humbles himself or herself before God. It starts right now on your knees with a gift that's received right now. Jesus is not a future Savior only. He's also our present Savior. God cannot come to you with heaven's blessings unless you come to realize that you are poor without Jesus in your life. Did you hear me? He can't do that. You may be rich and increased with goods, but without Jesus, you're poor, pitiable, blind, and naked. You may have an IQ of 209. Without Jesus, you are spiritually dumb. And you may have a comfortable bank account. Without Jesus, you are overdrawn and bankrupt. Your check has bounced. And if you think you are efficient and fast in life without Jesus, you're going nowhere in a hurry on a fast track that leads to death. You see, the great deficit in our life can only be filled by the presence of Christ. So when you figure it out on your knees, and that's where you need to figure it out, that nothing will work for you except Christ, then that's the moment when you get smart. When you're poor in spirit, then and only then are you on the path to receive the riches of the kingdom of God that come through Jesus. And the person who gets it right on their knees gets a right now righteousness on their knees. 
a right now righteousness that is good enough for the judgment day on their knees. Jesus says plainly, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Now, how is it, how is it yours? Uh, look at Luke 10, 20. He makes a very plain statement here. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. I mean, they were casting out devils in Jesus' name. That was a great thrill. Wow, the devil runs from us when we use the name of Jesus. But he says, don't rejoice about that. So what? But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I mean, your joy is your connection to God. And he doesn't notice what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, notice, he doesn't say, rejoice that your names will be written in heaven. He says, rejoice that they are. You see, we are accepted in Christ by faith at the beginning of the journey, or we'll never get to the end of God's road. And that truth is called justification by faith, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Beatitude number two, Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, in this second blessing, there is a present condition and future outcome rather than a present outcome like the first beatitude. You notice how it was in the present tense, the first beatitude? This one moves to the future promise of what will be the result of the beatitude. This formula is true for the next six beatitudes that we see here in Matthew 5. You obey Jesus today, and the lesson is clear. There will be a good outcome in the future for you tomorrow. It's not all about today. It starts with present assurance, but then the future hope is laid out. The future matters too. Patience and faith are implied here. You don't get the future if you don't hang in there, if you don't stick with the one who accepts you in the present. In the eighth and ninth Beatitudes, with the tenth command to rejoice that follows, the formula returns to the first Beatitude with a focus on the present tense again. So if you obey His commands, something happens right now. You're accepted by God. And then there's a movement from the gift of salvation in the first Beatitude, which is present, to the future outcome of obedience in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh Beatitudes, then to the assurance of salvation and joy in the final Beatitudes, which is affirmed as a present experience. So from the present to the future and back to the present, the kingdom of heaven is in the present in this structure. It's here. It's right now. We receive it today. And on each side of the structure is the assurance, as I said, of a present salvation. Christ says in the second beatitude, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, as a rule, people like to be in the company of positive persons, and they tend to avoid people who are sad. Right? Right? You know, someone has this big frown on their face, and they go, Hi. Hmm. And you just want to go the other way, right? Because it kind of hangs on and clings to you. And this produces a paradox in the teaching of Jesus. Godly joy that comes from Christ here comes after godly sorrow and not one minute before. So many Christians today want to have the joy part without the sorrow for sin. They, they want the crown and not the cross, the glory and not the gory part of a personal surrender that requires a struggle with God. Friend, if you want the joy of God, you must get on your knees in trembling and fear and have the sorrow for sin that makes salvation sweet because you have laid your sins at the Savior's feet. That's how it works. There's an essential movement in the whole structure of the Beatitudes in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The movement starts with poverty, your spiritual poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Then it moves to your sorrow. Blessed are those who mourn. And it ends with joy at the end of the the ten. In any circumstance of life, even when persecution, defamation are in play, in the tenth command that follows all the Beatitudes, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. The movement from sorrow to joy is the spiritual journey that leads to the glory of the resurrection morning. Psalms 30 verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Beatitude number 3, Matthew 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When do the meek ever get anything in life? Really? I mean, do you see any courses out there how to be meek so you can be successful? They don't exist. I mean, the greedy and the proud and the ruthless and the loud seem to win elections and win wars and win the favor of the masses. Am I right? That's how it works. Christ is here saying that real success starts with an inner attitude of humility. The quiet and the calm will stand on the sea of glass. You can't serve God unless you realize that you are not the center of God's universe. I mean, God's plan does not revolve around your skills, your talents, and your hopes and dreams. He was here before you came. And he will be here long after you're gone. His plans don't hinge on your plans. So who gets the gravy instead of the grave at the end of time? Who gets it? The humble do. The meek do. The person who serves God and doesn't care what others think. Who does it because they want to quietly see God's will worked out in this world. The humble are those who serve Jesus in the church. And they don't need a bunch of attention and accolades to keep on serving Jesus in the church. They don't need the pastor to like them or not. They'll serve whether the pastor likes them or not anyway. And they don't need an office or a position to feel important. And they don't need the praise of men or women here or there to advance them. That's not what it's about. They're content to take orders from the Lord Jesus and to go where the Lord Jesus asks them to go. You realize that most conflict in the body of Christ would end if every saint in the church was humble and put others first and got busy for God, we wouldn't have conflict. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. How many of you like to win the lottery, but don't go buy a lottery ticket? Because we don't gamble in this place. But wouldn't wouldn't it be nice if you could win the lottery without buying a ticket? Come on. You'd love to have that happen to you. Well, if you're meek and you're surrendered to Christ, you will win the spiritual lottery. Because God will... The book of Daniel says in Daniel 12 that you will stand in your allotted place at the end of days. The meek will inherit the earth. When you inherit something, you receive it from someone who has died. And usually you receive it because you belong to the family. Christ's kingdom will be made up of men and women and children who laid their lives down or gave their lives in service for the cause of God. Their lives were not about I, me, and my, but about thee. They were God-centered, Christ-centered people. Beatitude number 4, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you really want righteousness to be yours, right? And you recognize, if you do this, that you don't have this needed righteousness in yourself. That's why you're hungering and thirsting. So a self-righteous person can't hunger and thirst for God's righteousness because they're satisfied. They think they're righteous and they don't need to seek a righteousness that comes from God because they're a pretty good person anyway. 
Well, that person will never benefit from God's righteousness. In Romans 9.31, Paul says, But that Israel who pursued the righteousness, which is based on law, did not succeed in fulfilling that law. Real righteousness comes when you know the one who is really righteous. His righteousness can become your righteousness by the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. Turn to Philippians 3.7. Amazing passage. Paul affirms this in his own experience. He says, whatever gain I had, and that's the past, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Christ is his present reality. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ. And verse 9 is the key verse. And be found in him. Now, when you're found, someone is looking for you. You know, in Daniel 12, verse 1, it talks about that great time of trouble that will come upon the world at the end of time. And it says, everyone will be delivered whose name shall be found written in the book. God is looking for you in the Lamb's book of life. He is not content to let you go your way. If you want to be found, you must be found in Jesus. Paul says to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Beatitude number 5, Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now think about this. We worship a merciful God in the Bible. I mean, if you had to describe one characteristic of His love that is greater than any other, our God is merciful. Well, amen to that. You've been listening to Beatitudes and Gratitudes with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. We'll conclude this message here tomorrow on this station. But never forget, you can always go to the brand new website, reachingyourheart.com, and listen to this message online as well. That's reachingyourheart.com. We'd love to have you at the worship service every Saturday at 11 o'clock at 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. That's 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. And if you forget that, it's available on the website. Thanks for listening. And as always, we pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.